Welcome to What The If. Philip Shane here, documentary filmmaker, uh, and someone with an imagination that comes and goes. My level of my, my, my imaginative abilities flex and wane throughout the day. For instance, the music just dropped out inexplicably. Let's start I think you only, you only imagined it that it dropped I out. Just, <laughs> it may have never been there, actually. Um, that is that voice is the uh, the sonorous tones of my co-host, Professor Matthew Stanley. Uh, how are you, sir? Are you feeling imaginative today? Um, well, my quarantine beard is now so bushy that I can't fit the mask on properly anymore. Really? So I feel like that wow. means something. I don't know what precisely, but you know, my, I have a friend who um, actually works at NASA. Brilliant rocket scientist who has for years let his beard grow and grow and grow. So he looks very wise, he's Dumbledore-esque. Mm, nice. And um, his wife was pleased about one aspect of the coronavirus, and that is that to wear a mask, he had to trim his beard. Yeah. So, you know. Um, yeah, so that is where I'm at. So I have to uh, choose between my bountiful beard and I don't know, death, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. I said to uh, my wife, Wendy, uh, just this morning, in fact, she said, uh, she's like, I think my hair's getting kind of long. And I said, uh, oh, my hair's getting very long, but I think it looks really good. And boy, did I get a funny look after that. So, yeah, that's shout out to my hairdresser, Jackie. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Okay. Let's bring in our guest, Matt. Who do we have? Speaking of imagination. We are very excited uh, to have our guest, uh, Professor Tracy Gleason from uh, Wellesley College. Uh, she is a developmental psychologist um, who experiments on children, but she oh, no. is not a super villain. Well, I, hmm, uh, so she's a hmm. villain, but just not super. Uh, yeah, I don't know, actually, Tracy. How do you how do you feel? Would you rather be <laughs> a villain or yourself? super? Can I be super without being a villain, or is that is that not on the table? Yeah, that's a lot. Superhero. <laughs> Superhero, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really excited to have you, Tracy. It, Tracy comes with one of the best ifs I've ever heard. One of the best ideas <laughs> for an if, and I'm just going to jump right in. Tracy uh, asks, "What the if?" We had no. Wait for it. Try to think of what the word might be. Try to use your... No. What if we had no imagination? What the if we had no imagination? What? So just paint suddenly today, uh, Tracy, you, you woke up, you went out on your daily routine, and you're in a world with no imagination. And... Uh, What's it, what, what's it like? What's the world? Well, first of all, I have some free time because y'all are done. <laughs> so this entire show is kind of predicated <laughs> on the assumption that we have imagination. So we could, we could, we could stop now. Well, that is you wanna, a really you good point, wrap up? actually. It gets a little meta fast. Right. <laughs> so the entire premise of what the if is that we have the capacity to engage in counterfactuals, to to think of the hypotheticals, and to and to follow that through. So not just that we can, um, you know, consider one situation, but that we can also consider the ramifications of that situation. So it's it, it you know pretty soon we're 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 far down the road from from where we are in this moment at this time. Um, you know, your imagination is the ability to transcend the here and now to to you know spend time elsewhere and else when if that, that's probably not that's a word so it sounds to me like you said two things that seem to me slightly different conceptually one is imagining that things could be otherwise mm -hmm. and then following through the ramifications mm -hmm. of an idea exactly. so i have those kind of separated in my head as tasks but you would say those are both functions of the imagination i would because you know 
thinking about things as they are otherwise obviously requires us to escape where we are and what we're doing in this moment to, you know, alter some aspect of that, whether it's time, whether it's space, whether it's um, the conditions, whether it's, you know, what we have around us, uh, whether people who's here, um, what those people are like. I mean, we could, we could mess with anything really. And then the capacity to consider the ramifications, you know, that, you know, imagination doesn't operate in a vacuum, right? So there's, there's also plenty of other cognitive skills like, um, reasoning and memory and imagery, you know, all of those are going to be implicated in this process as well. So you're right in the sense that, you know, the process of thinking about where this goes once we postulate something different is a slightly different process than the initial postulate. So actually, so, so here's, here's the, here's what I, here's the scene I imagine we're in. Um, use your imagination. <laughs> yes. You still have it. <laughs> listeners, okay. Our listeners are always more imaginative than we are anyway. Well, that's true. Yeah. As I learned in, uh, in uh, training as a comedian one time, talk up to your audience, they say. So um, here's what I'm guessing that in the time of primitive Homo sapiens or even before, uh, Imagination played a role, in, in other words, without any imagination, if, if, that, if, it, if it never developed in right. the brain, in the human brain, we would still be back then. So let's go back to that time um, and say, where did, uh, you know, what's, what might be the first thing that happens where there was no imagination and so mm -hmm. development stopped of the human brain? Or, you know, or I suppose what it would be is like, well, here, here's, we can compare. So let's say, let's, we can, let's have a split screen. Okay. Mm -hmm. So on one side is the way we actually developed. Okay? Mm -hmm. And on, on, let's say that's on the right side of the screen. On the left side of the screen is that this is the whole different alternate history where there's no imagination developed. So what do we, what, what common place might we go to before imagination starts to kick in? Um, so... There is a distinction to be made between, uh, let's say, imagination and memory. So mm. you can imagine being in a, <laughs> you can imagine being in a yes. situation <laughs> in which you have memory, but you don't have imagination. So if you've encountered a particular situation before, like, you know, you step in a puddle and your foot gets wet, the next week when you see a puddle, you might have a memory of, of your foot getting wet and therefore you might avoid the puddle because you, you know what happens when you step in it. Right. But so we see a, a cave, uh, a, a cave, uh, let's say we'll have a, a cave man and a cave woman. Okay. And a cave boy and a cave girl. So there's a little, <laughs> there's nuclear a little family, cave family, a little okay. cave family and they're walking along and, uh, they all step in a puddle and, on the left side and on the right side. So left side meaning they will not have imagination, but on the right side, they will. So, so far, so good. Everybody so far, so good. Right. the same. Yeah. They right. all remember that puddle and they're like, family, we've learned a lesson right. today. Right. And actually, um, something that might also be preserved would be social learning. So, so let's say mm. the cave dad steps mm. in the puddle and the cave kids are like, dad's foot got all wet. I'm not stepping there, right? So, you all know, right. you know, you might you might be able to take advantage of other people's experiences in order to inform your own behavior. So that would be handy, right? So that's we yeah. we could yeah. we could probably still do that without too much imagination. You don't you don't have to really imagine your own foot being wet in order to benefit from, you know, seeing what happens to someone else. Um right. so we could we could probably give them that. Um, it's really hard to separate all, you know, all these things operate together. So, uh, yeah, you know, right. pulling out just imagination and leaving everything else intact is, is a pretty tricky um, charge, but I'm, I'm doing my best here. Well, well, do we have to go, to, I'm wondering actually, do we need to go back even further? Like, you know, one thing I'm already wondering is do animals have imagination? I guess <sighs> some, some seem to represent that. So let's go back to pre, you know, really primitive like how far back should we go where you're sort of like absolutely i really don't see imagination there oh like like maybe lizards or something or you oh, know yeah. um, oh, well or even bacteria I, you I know, don't know. Oh. <laughs> um 
Yeah, I, I, I think I would, I would stake my professional reputation on bacteria not yeah. having imagination <laughs> per se. Um, <laughs> but right, let the record is, show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I, I'm actually not kidding in the in the sense that like there's a place I feel really comfortable saying, okay, mm-hmm. there. And so at some yeah. point, a gray area develops. So where, right. at what point do you feel like, you know what, now I'm not so sure. Imagination. So where, where would be the earliest? Yeah. Of, how did imagination come about maybe? Um, well, you know, we're getting a little out of my comfort zone here. Um, right. Because right. this, this is a lot of, of reference to the brain in particular. And, and, you know, that's, that's, you know, I've, I've, I've seen brains, but, um, it's not something I feel really, really uh, well versed in. So, uh, for example, this this gray area of which you speak, um, things like imagery, things like representation, is that the same as imagination? Uh, it, I, I I would say that certainly representation, like mental representation, is necessary for imagination. Uh, but that imagination is probably something a little bit beyond strict representation because representation right. is right. often, often draws from memory as well. So, yeah. you, you know, uh, there are probably lots of animals. And in fact, we know there are lots of animals that have mental representation that they can, they can use mental maps or they can, um, you know, they can extrapolate from one situation to another based on, on a mental representation. Um, but would we say they have imagination necessarily? You know, that might be, that might be one step beyond. Um, so I, I it's, right. it's hard for me to say where that line is. It gets gray really fast. All right. So if you're not interested in brains, I assume you're interested <laughs> well, in Well, I think they're behavior, cool. Don't get me right? wrong. <laughs> no, no. I understand a completely brain-free life. That sounds great. Um, uh, so then presumably you're interested in behavior. Right. Um, and, and actually, you know, what I'm really interested in are the social ramifications of oh, imagination. Okay. So, right. so, so what are the social cues or whatnot that we're, yeah. that we would look for if we could, okay, we can't dissect all the cavemen brains, right. um, but we can watch them from afar. Um, right. what are the, what, what are the social behaviors that we, uh, that we look for for this? So, so let's say um, one of our our cave our cave kids go out and they you know um, they go out to to play or um, maybe find some berries or something. They're you know they're they're out of the cave and maybe some sort of threat appears or something happens and and the cave parents think to themselves you know this is a dangerous situation. Our children are not present. Um, with imagination, one of the things that you have the capacity to do is to think, where would the kids go? You know, you can think about uh. not just where they have been in the past, which, you know, would draw more on memory, but, you know, what what do our kids like and where do they have fun and where, you know, if, if, if that's what they were going out to do. I don't know. Cave mm-hmm. people have bigger problems than just like where to play. Um, <laughs> so it's a, little, it's a little tricky. But for, but they also had a lot of time on their hands, so it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. You never know. Um, and also they might not have wandered very far from their parents most of the time. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of – making a lot of assumptions here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we do all the time in this modern age with our imaginations is think about what other people are thinking and what other people mm. would do. Make predictions about other people's behavior. Uh, and one of the things that we often do is we play interactions with people, both people we know well and people we've never met before, in our heads. So you're prepping for a job interview or you're thinking about, you know, the crazy things that might come up on a podcast and you, you know, you think to yourself, like, what are they going to ask me or what are they going to want to know about? What am I going to say in response to that? You might actually envision that whole scenario in your head with the interviewer asking you questions and what you might say. And you might even, you know, imagine yourself saying something and then going off in a weird direction and think, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm 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 not going to bring that up because if I bring that up then I have to go down this whole other road and okay, so good to know, you know. Like you practice, right? You mm, you right. rehearse. Role um, play. Yeah. You role play in your own head without another person. It's a little bit magical when you think about it. I mean, that that's yeah, that's okay. you know, that's a pretty impressive talent to be able to to run through a whole scenario with someone you've never met before. And then of course yeah. when you get there, 
Maybe it's very similar to what you imagined. Maybe it's very different, but you've, you've rehearsed a little bit. So you feel a little bit more confident in handling it. Um, people do this all the time with their close relationship partners. So, uh, you know, you both have wives. You probably had conversations with your wife in your head, especially <laughs> if it was about something that might be a little tense or something that was extremely happy. Maybe you had good news and you're trying to think about, okay, how do I share this? And what, like, how will I, how will I set this up? How will I say this? Um, you know, you can, you can spend time prepping for that real life scenario. The other thing we do a lot is we take conversations that we've had in the past and we rewrite yeah. them. You know, somebody Not, said something and you just kind of went, Ugh, and then later you think of the perfect thing to say. Yeah, we, we you know, we, we kind of retroactively imagine what those interactions could have been like if we'd had that, that perfect zinger, you know, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a world without imagination has a lot more relationship strife. I think it would. I think it would. Or or we would we would just not worry about this stuff so much. I'm not really sure which. Um, <laughs> well, it's interesting. Because, wait, a big thing. One thing we're looking at here is that uh, again, if I look at the split screen again, so people on the the, the cave family on the left right. are really totally just living in the moment. Right. Very much, at, and that is when I look at animals, and uh, you know, I I really feel like. Wow, that's the perfect example. Like, I watch birds running around. It's like they're clearly just like living in the they're moment. They're like Zen, and right? They're, yeah. they're right, like they're right, right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, if you, yeah, if you, if you do meditation or you, you study that at all, um, a, a big part of that is uh, that kind of like sometimes the immune system goes into overdrive, as mm -hmm. we've been talking about with the pandemic a lot. Um, this sort of ability to imagine the future and the past right and even alternate versions of the future and the past can you know you if you get too much of that you kind of get stressed out um yeah so, we, we we call that rumination <laughs> you know rumination, especially yeah. especially um thinking about things that have happened in the past or um you know events that have upset us you know there are there are clinical levels of these things where you you get so caught up in this that you're actually not doing yourself any favors you're not you know typically when we engage in what we call imagined interactions you are helping yourself out you're you're processing something and you're because yeah. again yeah. A, a a big portion of this is emotion right how we feel about something you know we yes. usually do this when we were really happy about something when we were really sad about something when we were really angry when we had a strong emotion like we don't we don't sit and relive those moments in our lives where we were at you know in a coffee shop and saying i'd like a latte and the person said okay and then we gave them money and they gave us our latte like we don't we, we don't sit around saying gosh remember when i ordered that latte i wish i'd said i would like a latte instead of I'll have a latte, you know, like, like this I, is, this is not, not do you, um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe no, you actually, do this. Well, well, sort of, we, we get right back to sort of almost like, uh, cavemen, like survival instincts. Um, I've been thinking about those interactions at the coffee shop lately only because I'm like, did I, did he touch the, did I get <laughs> right, right. virus? Did I remember right. the Did I wash my, my hands hand? after I touched exactly. it? Right, right. Well, and I guess that would be a kind of emotional expression too, though, yes. right? Is right, worry, that's anxiety. Yeah, fear. Right, yeah. right. That's fear yeah. and anxiety about that mm -hmm. particular little. I thought what you were going to say is, gosh, I miss so much just saying, hey, I'd like a latte, you know, because I, you know, maybe we don't do that so much anymore. And so <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. Um, it would, in which case, it would be sadness. It would be this sort of wistful longing for those ordinary interactions um yeah but yeah. typically when, funny, when you talk about ordinariness it's almost like i don't know about you but like i don't even remember that right like it, right. That, that just wouldn't even be a right like, it doesn't register no, because it's not notable in some way right, because it doesn't right. have a, a a sort of not not necessarily because but it doesn't have an emotion associated with, with it which is what often keeps things right well in that's our minds. interesting so does it work the other so if imagination sort of depends on emotion does it go the other way too that is that imagination helps us like train emotional awareness and work on emotional skills Oh, Matt, I'm so glad you asked. That doesn't work at all. And that is Tracy's job security. That's right. This is what keeps me in business. Really? Um, so I have, I have two, th no, I have so many, but I'll start with two thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. um, ever heard of pretend play? I have. Yeah. Maybe you, maybe you've seen it or engaged in it yourself. Um, A little bit. 
this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So a lot of what young children do in pretend play is experiment with emotions. Ah. So, you know, some of their play is sort of here we are being the parents and, you know, the babies and enacting household stuff. And, um, and what we're doing there is, is figuring out, you know, what is it that parents do all day? And is it fun? Do I want to do that? Or, you know, what, what, what is it like to be the one who tells the children that they can't have another cookie? Uh, you know, learning, learning, like, you, you know, about that experience from being denied, but, but you don't know it about, mm-hmm. about that experience from being the denier. So it could be kind of yeah. fun to, to sort of figure out what, what that's like. Um, yeah. Another thing that children do a lot is uh, you've probably seen a fair amount of superhero play and danger and, you know, there's a flood coming or there's a the volcanoes exploding or, uh, you know, they'll, they'll engage in these scenarios where either tragedy is striking or there's some, you know, desperate situation, right? That, that's a, a kind of heightened arousal sort of situation. And, and part of what you're doing in that situation is, is, changing your emotions like the emotions that are associated with these these playtimes they're real but they are entirely under your control okay i said entirely but we're talking about like three and four year olds so uh, maybe that's mostly. too strong they're, mo- they're mostly right. Right, right right and you know what what every parent and teacher knows is that there comes a moment where you sort of have to step in and be like oh maybe the volcano stopped erupting, <laughs> you know, like, like, let's bring it down. Everybody's okay. Like, you know, sometimes kids can get so, so uh, both um, in happy ways and in frightening ways. And, uh, you know, the emotions can take over and, and you need to help them regulate. And that's, that's what young children are learning how to do. They're learning how to regulate their emotions. So pretend play helps you do that because it, it helps you engage in these kind of very exciting states of arousal, um, whether they are, happy or frightening or sad or whatever. Um, and then to come back from it. So you can go up and you can come back and you can go up and you can so, come back and then so you can wanna, practice that. On, on the left side of the screen. So on the right side, we, we see some, we, uh, these cave parents are doing good parenting. Uh, <laughs> on the left side, the cave parents, now these, they don't have, a, they don't have imagination. Right. And so um, the kids nor the parents, neither are doing any role play or something like that. But how is it, it, it's kind of a weird double bind here where neither the children, the children don't have imagination, let's say. Mm -hmm. So they're not doing something that the parent needs to step in, but, but also the parents don't have, anyway, what, how how does it work there? Okay. So what I would say to that is that pretend play is one way in which we learn how to regulate emotion and that uh, there are many ways. And so uh-huh. in, in the case of the, of the cave family that lacks imagination, probably, you know, they're still going to have emotion. They're still going to need emotion regulation. The kids are still going to need to learn emotion regulation. They'll just do it in a different way, right? They won't have pretend play as a tool to help them um, engage in that. Uh, and so a lot of their emotion regulation might happen in real life. You know, when the saber tooth tiger comes around the corner, everybody gets scared, right? You gotta, I don't, <laughs> I can't, I guess no, you have bigger I, I problems. I love that you said just... that just as Phillips cat I know. That was really perfect. <laughs> so, Are you okay? Um, so, so maybe there's the sense that, so without imagination, you're, you're experiencing every emotion for the first time for real. Is that it? Um, like I've never even thought about experiencing or getting attacked by a cat before. So the first time it happens, like I've got no prep for it. Is it that right? Kind of- well, it's, it's, um, I mean, you would have prep for it in that over the course of your life, you'd encounter lots of frightening situations. Um, okay. You know, there's that mm-hmm. time you were dangling at the edge of a precipice and the time the saber-toothed tiger showed up and the time that the rock it. slide started. And, mm-hmm. you know, like like fear is yeah. not something that's going to be totally foreign. Um, but at the same time, you know, each situation might be a little different. But, you, but you, you know, each, each time you get scared, that's an opportunity to regulate that emotion. Uh, or for somebody to help you regulate that emotion. So another another great example is um, that doesn't require imagination is rough and tumble play. Uh, you know, lots of animals, no doubt our cave family, like the engagement in rough and tumble play is 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 really universal, especially um, particularly among mammals. Right. So 
the kids and also the kids and the parents together might engage in rough and tumble play, which is also this great system of elevating emotion and then coming back down. You know, you mm. attack each other and you, you, you know, there's a, a arousal that's associated with that. And then you part and you, you know, sort of look at each other and get ready for the next round. And then you, you know, jump in again. Um, and especially if you watch parents like dads engaging, dads are usually the ones who engage in rough and tumble play with their children. Um, they will take it just to the to the brink of the child losing it and then ah. stop and then mm. take it up to the brink of losing it. Sometimes go a little bit over the edge, but then yeah. comfort the child back down. Um, and then, and you know, <laughs> you know, the child is ready to go again, has, has recovered when they attack you again. Right. <laughs> so right, right. You, you bring them up mm -hmm. to the spot, then you, you know, you back off and you hold on and then the child jumps in again and, and so you it, go again. It, it seems like a key component to all of this is language. Like here's, I'm now imagining a split screen. Now this is going to be a comp, mm. this is a little bit complex. Mm. There's a lot of linkages here, but on the left side, the cave family having rough and tumble play mm -hmm. on the right side, modern day humans watching pro wrestling, <laughs> <laughs> which is rough and tumble play, but also, sorry, spoiler alert, scripted. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah. And, and the people know it, you right, know, I right. mean, for the most part. And so, um, uh, it, that definitely gets complex, but I feel like a huge part of that is there's so much symbology being used. Right. And I'll just say one thing real quick is like having spent a lifetime in movies and making movies and studying movies and thinking about movies. Um, I've, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about what's the value, why do we go? And it's always struck me that this is no, you know, revelation, but like, that we need, we go to theater, we, we read, we experience stories uh, and have since, you know, the beginning of human civilization. Like the cave I people, yeah. Yeah, like the, they were the first, yeah, the first cave people that right. they were able to sit down and tell a story at the campfire. Um, because we need to rehearse, you know, or we just really get a tremendous amount of value of all kinds out of being able to imagine situations. And in our modern world where we can, experience so many stories, you know, in our lifetimes, way more than I imagine than anyone ever could have, and much more vividly with mm -hmm. movies and things like that. Um, there's a value to it. But it's all language. I mean, I feel like that's it is it seem that the lang you know, when you think about it, is can you have imagination without language? Um I'm gonna tentatively go with yes. Uh, because I'm, I'm actually, you brought up a couple of really important things. One of which is um, I can watch the wrestlers and I can uh -huh. know it's scripted. I don't have to say a word. They don't have to say a word. Like there's no need right. for language there. Oh, yeah, I mean, right. maybe they needed language to organize their script. But, you know, me being entertained by that, although I'm not, I have to be honest, I'm not entertained <laughs> by that. But, but like a person being entertained by that. Yeah. doesn't require language in order to enjoy that, even mm -hmm. though, and, and the, the important thing that you said was, you know, it's scripted and we know it. We don't care that it's scripted. We don't, we don't care that this isn't real. It's still entertaining because yeah. in, in some sense, we, we take what we are watching and we set aside the fact that it's not real because it's not the point, right? It, it doesn't matter that it's not real. Um, and, and if we didn't have imagination, I think we would be like, are they really angry at each other? What is happening? Why, why are they, why are they are, oh. like, what do you mean they have organized this? Why would they do that? Like, you wouldn't mm -hmm. understand what the point of stories was if you had no imagination. Wow. Yeah. Because you wouldn't I mean, enjoy so, it. Yeah, that's right. So I should say along those lines, right? So when my uh, kids were smaller and I would do rough and tumble play with them, sometimes our dog would get upset uh, yes. and try right. to intervene, right? Right. Um, so she could not imagine that this was That you would do play, this right? for a reason that had anything to do with something other than trying to, you know, beat each other up or, or you know, like, yeah, the, and, like and her interpretation. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think we should be cautious about generalizing from her because she was a very sweet dog, but she was not smart. <laughs> um, so sometimes even like at the dog park she would get upset when she would when see she other saw, dogs playing yeah. because she didn't quite get what was going on but it, it could also be that she didn't see you doing it a lot and so uh, it seemed be, like yeah. abnormal behavior I, I know that Eric, speaking of Erica, uh that when she uh if you get down like I don't often get down on the ground and roll around at her level or something like that but when you do that she's a little bit freaked out like 
why why is this person all the way down yeah. here at my level? Heck yeah. is going on? This is a yeah. different situation than is normal. Yeah. I don't know what to do yeah. with this. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. could be a threat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. This could be dangerous. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so um, how far, or what is the fate of the family, of the, of the, of the species on the left mm-hmm. that has no imagination? I'm guessing they're, they're, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, what what do you think they? Well, I think the the worst aspect of the fate is that they have no stories and they can't go to the movies, mm. and that's kind of that a bummer. You know, that would of be sad. We can't go to the movies these days. Yeah. Oh I was yeah, say, they would point. Do yeah. Today. So it's like quarantine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I think that to some extent they're gonna make a fair number of poor decisions because one of the things we do when we make a decision is we consider the counterfactuals. We say, if I do this, what will happen? Or if I do this, you know, this A and B, I'm I'm pointing, but you know, um, Mm -hmm. if I do A, then this is the outcome. If I do B, then this is the likely outcome. We, you know, we can do the probabilities and we can, we can sort it. And also we, this is, this is, this is a critical piece of it. We can predict how we might feel. So if I make this particular choice, I will Mm -hmm. feel happy about it now, but sad about it later. If I do this particular choice, I'll feel sad about it now, but happy about it later. And, and, you know, we can kind of weigh, do I want to be happy now or is it okay, you know, to be sad Mm -hmm. later? Is it okay to, you know, is it better if I'm sad later? You know, we can make all these really good decisions about how we want things to play out. The cave family, I forget which side they were on. Are they on the left if they have no imagination? (laughs) Yeah, okay. So the cave cave family on the left, you know, they come to a decision point. And if if they don't have imagination, they can't predict how they're going to feel. They can't necessarily consider the pros and cons of either side of the decision that they need to make. They can draw on memory. So, you know, uh, if it's just a matter of stepping in the puddle or not, they can probably handle that pretty well. But, you know, if it's a if it's a really big question, like, do we stay in this cave, which is on the side of a volcano, or do we move to, you know, try to find another cave that's further from the volcano? I don't know why volcanoes are coming up today, but, you know. They they can't necessarily think through, okay, here's the landscape, here's where caves are likely to be. If we go this direction, we might find one. If we go this direction, it's probably just desert or you know, whatever is out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Those mm-hmm. those kinds of um uh complex decisions with lots of different pieces, uh, you know, that's really hard to do if you if you can't kind of put it into a scenario and imagine what it would be like. So yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, it's a little bit more, it's again, it's, it's a little bit more living in the moment. It's, um, it, it may be a little bit like what we would consider to be impulsivity, right? You encounter a situation, you just do something because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the first thing that comes to mind, you just do it. Um, yeah. so maybe you, you hear the volcano well, rumbling and you just leave, right? right. You, you know, whether that's the best decision or not. Or what we're probably talking about is basically just the difference between primates and humans. In other words, if you say that, if I imagine apes or chimps or, you know, they, they are, they, they seem very close to humans, but they right. just don't have this extra step. And so they don't have culture as far as we know. Right, they right. They don't have all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, Matt, you were going to say something. Well, I was going to say, I think one of the things I find so interesting about this, um, this idea of the, the non-imaginative humans is that they are arch empiricists, right? They mm. only know the things that they have done or seen directly. Right. right. They have no or, other yeah, option. Right. 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 So they can learn um, from other people's experiences. So, right. you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's yeah, a bonus, that's good, so but, um, but yeah, it's, it's like, it, it has to be in your immediate world. Yeah. So, I mean, on one hand we might, like if you said to someone, wouldn't it be great if people only dealt with things that they saw or experienced directly, right? Wouldn't that be a wonderful society? <laughs> um, and then you think it through and you're like, well, actually, it would be terrible. It would right? be it, terrible. It would be very yeah. difficult. I mean, uh, and on all sorts of different levels, right? We're getting killed by volcanoes and saber-toothed tigers. <laughs> our relationships are bad. We can't um, figure out what ch- people are doing. Yeah. yeah that's right. We can't, uh, we can't play with our children. Um, I mean, <laughs> we can rough and tumble. A, we could 
Uh, It's an extraordinary kind of, it's really an extraordinary kind of thing. Yeah. It Um, really removes a lot of the richness that, uh, you know, because I, I think we sometimes don't appreciate the extent to which stories really are a huge part of our lives and mm -hmm, can mm -hmm. influence what we do and our decisions and, and hearing other people's stories, you know, that's a, that's a kind of social learning that doesn't require being there with the person when it happens, you know, taking advantage of everything that happens to you when you're not with me, you know, that, that's an enormous boon in terms of, um, taking care of ourselves, right? I can, mm -hmm. I can learn about what happens to me. I can learn about what I see happening to you. I can also learn about what happened to you when I wasn't even there. I mean, yeah. wow. Well, this a lot of as a documentary, yeah, as a documentary filmmaker, I can say this is my job security. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're good. Not, not that, is, that is the bread and butter. And maybe you should support such things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, um, you so is, when here's I'm fascinated by. Let's move into this area really to get into your um, knowledge. Uh, your so as a psych and, and I'm not exactly sure what your what your yeah. focus is, you, but uh, you, within psychology, I think um, one of the all, most of the greatest most interesting lessons uh, come from studying people humans that are you know on the some spectrum of mm. mental. Mm -hmm. capacity or whatever right and so you know i think about oliver sacks and things right, like that right. we can learn so much from those stories so um art there must be but like i ask are are there people that don't have imagination oh. and what are they like um oh dear oh dear did i mention i'm not a, a clinician and that i don't do right so so psychology um so uh, well, here's a question then. How do you, as a scientist, how do you study imagination? Well, what I'm primarily interested in are um, young children's imaginary companions. So, oh, tell us about that. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So fun. Um, so, for one thing, you know, why do some children create them and others don't? That's actually turns out not to be a very interesting question. Um, mm. if, there aren't big differences between kids that do and, and do not. Um, to the extent that we find them, it, it has to do with things like how much you like social interaction and how much you enjoy pretend play, right? Just simple variations on those. But it, it doesn't, there are, you know, there's not differences in intelligence particularly or, you know. We, and when you say imaginary companion, how rich? Mm. Uh, I always wonder about that because as a kid, I mean, we would hear talk about, oh, he has an imaginary. I never felt like I had an imaginary friend. I, in fact, I felt like I should. So I tried to create one. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say that. <laughs> to the other extreme, the kid, Danny, the little boy in The Shining, uh -huh, you know, right. who has, uh, uh, mm -hmm. no, yeah. Danny's the boy inside the boy. Anyway. Yeah, not, not a great example. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> extreme, extreme. The other yeah. end. Terrifying. So, um, well, there are a couple of different types of imaginary companions. There's what we think of as, you know, if, if I say imaginary companion, what you probably envision is an invisible imaginary companion. So mm -hmm. something right. the child has totally made up. Um, turns out those can be completely invented from nothing. They can be based on real people, like imaginary versions of real people. Mm -hmm. um, I once interviewed a little boy who had an imaginary version of a, of a friend of his, and um, it was really difficult to to make sure as I was interviewing him that he knew I was talking about the invisible one. Cause if I just used her name, he might think it was the real one, but it turned oh, out he had pretended to marry his imaginary companion, but he'd never done that with the real girl. So we did the whole interview been talking there. about been his there. wife. Yeah. That's called high school. So he could distinguish between his imaginary version of his friend and the real version of his yeah, friend. Yeah. They often have yeah. some, some pretty significant differences, not the least of which is that the imaginary version does what you want. And the real version sometimes frustrates you and, you know, has their own agenda. Um, and marries a hockey and, player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, with Michael. I don't, talking about. I don't know where I came up with that. Um, so the other type of imaginary companions are what we call personified objects. And typically these are things like stuffed animals or dolls that we give a lot of, of personality and animation to. So it's, it's not just a comfort object. It's not just something that kids carry around and, and sleep with or, you know, Linus's blanket is the, the great example. But something more like Winnie the Pooh, where it has a personality. It has its, it's like really a, a, an animate 
um, being. Uh, so those also count as imaginary companions. And so you'll find you'll find kids who do both of those things, um, but not everybody. And then and then I think that the really interesting question is, what kind of relationship do you form with these imaginary beings? Because that says something about why you're doing this. You know, if you create an imaginary baby that you take care of, that's really different than an imaginary friend, which is really different than an imaginary big sister who's a teenager. So, sure. which by the way, those older ones are actually kind of rare, but the the, say, who, yeah. the youngers are are much more common. Sometimes you'll see you'll you'll meet imaginary mentors. Um, I'm actually wow. doing a project right now with um, Stephanie Madsen, who's down at McDaniel, um, and. Uh, We've found that a lot of kids in middle childhood, so a little older than what you typically find for um, invented imaginary companions, just straight out. But in in middle childhood, we found a lot of kids who create imaginary companions related to sports. So uh, an imaginary teammate or an imaginary coach okay. or an imaginary person who chases you when you're running for track. <laughs> you know, like the, oh, um, interesting. The thing yeah. kind of, I mean, we, we've all probably at some point or another played baseball with ghost runners. Right. And, yeah. you know, those are imaginary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. figures as well, but they're, they tend not to have a whole lot of personality or, or characteristics even. It's just like, there's a guy on third, right? Um, That's like, in, in, it's funny because I'm, I'm making a documentary about uh, people who make video games. And, oh. you know, and if you play video, so in video games, there's, there's the players, which right. are you or right. other people online playing the game. And then there's what they call NPCs, non-player right. characters, just right. like those little bots. Right. Like right. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes they'll have personality, I would imagine, or at least I would hope, you know, that they have characteristics and whatnot. You know, avatars are another fascinating aspect of this whole thing. Um, You know, because when you, when you create an avatar, it's you, but it's not you. There's, you know, there's there's sort of a duality there that you find also with the imaginary companions. Um, And then there's also what we call parasocial relationships, which you find more in like adolescence and early adulthood, where you create or imagine a relationship typically with a media figure of some kind. Uh, mm-hmm. It could be a singer or an athlete or an actor, mm-hmm. or it could be a character on a show as opposed yep. to the actor who portrays that character. Oh, we do okay. this in a million different ways. Right? We, we create these imaginary others um, or relationships with sort of you know, imagined versions of real others um, yes. all the time, which to me simply says relationships matter. Right. The most important thing in our lives are other yeah. people. And so we spend a lot of our imagination and our imaginative energy focused on the creation of these others, interacting with these others, interacting with real people in our minds. You know, yeah. there's like this whole social dimension to our imagination. Um, or I would say there's a whole imagined dimension to our social world that we that we engage in, but we don't necessarily think all that much about. And, and things like, you know, watching wrestling and, and watching movies and feeling emotions in relation to those movies, that's all part of this, you know. It's interesting and, because it, it sounds like almost that a lot of the product, let's say the productive aspect of imagination, the, the part that mm-hmm. allowed us to now, you know, evolve to a civilization that can go to other planets, um, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Uh, which is also, by the way, an enormous amount of imagination. I always feel like, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that we can send a robotic thing and use, imagine we are there, that those pictures of yeah. we're there. Anyway, yeah. um, but, uh, uh, oh, my mind went out into space. It happened. <laughs> um, oh, is that the interesting thing here is that the imagination also, the, whatever this thing is, this part of the psychology or the brain that did cause this thing, actually, it's kind of problematic, but it creates all these needs, all these, like, it's, it's these, that the, the, the family on the left or the people, the, the civilization on the left with no imagination, they may not have all these neurotic the relationships are fine yeah whoever's here is in the cave tonight is great as long as they don't eat my food we're good you know and if they help me fight the tigers that's great um whereas the ones on the right have all this kind of like it's like a hamlet type like okay everybody's hamlet and just full of angst and all this kind of stuff which causes us to start to create things to fill that need and a lot of culture is sort of like filling this need that probably didn't exist before the imagination. It's, you, know, anyway. you, you might be right, but the the flip side of that is that there's mm-hmm. also a lot of joy, right? It's, it, it, yeah, it doesn't right, just yeah. create angst. <laughs> it's, we can use our imaginations in, in all kinds of ways that, that 
entertain us and bring us joy and make us happy. Um, right. You know, we can we can imagine all. I, I mean, we we often tend to um, use our imaginations to solve problems, and those problems might be more associated with things like anxiety and angst and you know all that. Um, right. be, you know, because we have to we have to deal with that. Uh, right. But at the same time, you know, we enjoy so much of our storytelling and our fiction and our our imaginative capacity. It's just, you know, it's it's a right. it's a full. Package. I was bringing I was bringing a particularly Jewish way of seeing things. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the oi. So because of that oi, that is why my people created Hollywood. So, this is a whole other thing. Um, but uh, um, it well, actually, it's sort of more to the point. More. Uh, less judgmentally or whatever, it's that the imagination created, either came from or created or went hand in hand with basically in, in expanding enormously the emotional spectrum. Yes, yes. And you know, like, uh, yeah, uh, like, oh, here's one of my favorite fun facts about um, about movies. Um, Talia yeah. Goldstein, um, who I believe is at George Mason now, uh, a psychologist who who did some research on you know, why do we watch sad movies? Like, like uh, yeah, I'm in such yeah, a great mood. Yeah. I think I'll watch a terrible sad movie, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, there's a reason why we engage in movies that really tug at our heartstrings. And what she found in her research is that um, real sadness differs from movie-induced sadness and the extent to which anxiety is present. So uh, one of the yeah. things that you get to do when you watch a sad movie is go to that sad place knowing at any moment you can pull yourself out if you need to. Like if it gets to be yeah. too much, you can just turn it off. You can walk away. You can remind yourself this is just fiction and, you know, sort of be amused by something. You know, you can, you can, you can change the scenario. Real sadness, you can't do that. So there's a component of anxiety that goes along with real sadness that is absent from fictional sadness. So you get to actually practice being sad and recovering from it in, when you watch a fictional movie, uh, oh, to, you know, document. It's like a sit. We're in a sandbox yeah, situation. Yeah, it's, it's actually, you're talking about growing up. Ups. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting you say that because, like, as a kid, I am is interesting. I don't know that I wound up in movies because, as a kid, I could not go to the movies. I my parents learned early on it was too terrifying too for me. Yeah. In fact, I have still not seen anything. I have not seen the movie Bambi. Beyond the forest fire, <laughs> yeah, no, where right, my mother dies, right, right. I, my mother had to take me out, mm -hmm. and then I think it was years before they even bothered to take me back to the yeah, movies again. Yeah, there's like a cute skunk that shows up, and you miss the whole thing. It's it's bad, yeah. actually. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny when uh, my daughters were little, little. Um, one of the first movies we uh, let them watch was The Sound of Music. The first half that is right, up to the right. puppet show no, before yeah. the Nazis show right, up. Right, forget the Nazis, right. Yeah, so now in our in our family, um, the puppet show is shorthand for uh, it's getting to be too much. I don't want to do this <laughs> anymore. Uh, so, like, yeah, I'll watch that movie. I'll watch the Terminator up to the puppet show. All right. Uh, right. That's right. It's, uh, awesome. it's great. So that's just yeah. And you know, what is that? It's 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 difficulty with emotion regulation, right? It's, it, mm -hmm. it, well, it's a couple of things. People really differ in the extent to which they uh, get absorbed by fiction. So some people always maintain this distance where they, you know, they don't invest, they don't feel the feelings of the characters that, you know, they don't, they don't empathize with the, the things that are happening that, you know, what's happening to the characters and they can maintain that distance. And consequently, they can deal with a whole lot of sadness and violence and, and Nazis and whatnot um, in a way that, others of us have a real problem doing because we invest and we, we empathize and we, you know, we feel the pain of these characters and sometimes it can just get to be too much. And especially for little children who have trouble with that, that wall, that, that border uh, yeah. that, that, that we put up as grownups if we need to, um, you know, they slip right into being Bambi and their mother's gone and they have no yeah. one, you know, I, like, I, I mean, yeah. what could be more terrifying to somebody who's small? So you're, you're, you know, you have a lot of really good companies fine. just so you know. okay. yeah, go yeah. good. Also movies are so much, I, I imagine. Oh, they're powerful. More intense there's yeah. music like and there's this big you know, right. screen. Right. Yeah. With books, putting up that border is much easier. You just shut the book, right? You like right. in a movie, right. you're absorbed in this whole 
scenario, you're in this world. And, um, and in a book you do, you can do that the same way. I mean, people do get very absorbed in, in fiction. Um, I have, I have vivid memories from adolescence of, of, you know, being terrified as I read some horrible book. Um, you know, and, 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 and knowing that, that, you know, the puppet show was coming, <laughs> yeah. there would be a moment where I just needed to walk away and like look around at the sunshine. I remember yeah. that, you know, these things weren't really happening. Yeah. Um, so Philip, if you want to come over and we can do a Sound of Music Bambi double feature, that would be a great <laughs> oh way God, to spend that'd be, Saturday. That'd be a lot. That'd be a lot. I've had to spread that out over like Yeah. Actually, speaking of the movie The Shining, it's funny because uh, I didn't see it in the theaters, but a friend of mine had a videotape of it back in the early, early days of videotape. Anyway, it literally took me, I think, a month to watch The Shining at his house. We'd watch up to a certain point, and then I was like, oh, I can't watch it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But that. in little doses, you can manage it, right? Because you can, right. you can control, like, what's happening with your, you can, your emotions get to a certain point, and then you got to yeah. cut it off. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's yeah. very hard to control, and it could get, it could get easily overwhelming. In yeah. fact, I think so, the book I was reading when I started to get scared might have been The Shining. I think that might have been. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. that's a good book. Yeah, Stephen <laughs> King, generally. Yeah. yeah. So, I want, so to, to wrap up, actually, I'm curious about um, what is the cutting edge of your uh, research or your area of exploration? And, and sort of what are, what are the big questions that, that are not are big questions that are sort of like, well, someday we'll know about that. But are there things where we're actually, where are we making progress into right. new? territory um well you know the the for me personally for my research you know the joke i always make is that you know the study of relationships has a fairly long and in-depth history and and we've done a lot of work on this very hot area very you know we know that relationships are critical in human psychology and so there's there's lots of of work being done there imagination is also starting to be a little bit more of a hot topic people have realized that, that you know this is a capacity that um is really incredibly useful in a lot of different domains and decision making and in our uh, thinking about our influencing our attitudes you know it 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 it's got a lot of potential if you if you study imaginary relationships these two very hot areas suddenly become a little chilly um it's you know it's not an area in which a ton of people are doing work so you know interesting for those, is there like a giggle factor around it or is it just um, just happens not to be the well you know, I mean, why are fads fads? Um, I think, I, I, you know, I think part of it is that um, for a long time, we didn't think that all that many kids, for example, had imaginary companions. And and I don't think that people in my field necessarily get that this imaginary other is a common theme um, throughout, you know, much of the lifespan. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that you know, I think people have, have sort of just started thinking about. Um, but imagination itself is, I think, poised to take off. Um, you know, people have done really interesting research looking at things like um, if you if you imagine longer distances, like you imagine traveling a long distance versus short distance, it takes you longer to do that. You know, like it, like there's this there's this correspondence. Yeah, yeah. There's this correspondence between, you know, um, doing something in reality and doing it in imagination. Um, you would think that you could just instantly be wherever you wanted to be, you know, if you're working in your imagination. But in fact, there's this, there's this, there's this tie there. Um, and I was just, I'm trying to think. I was reading a paper yesterday that that um, I can't remember what it was, but it was it was a similar kind of, you know, oh oh, um, if you are searching in your mind, that process is very much like searching in reality. So we, we tend to, you know, you, you, you go to a likely spot where you might find something in reality and you, and you find everything around that. Um, and then, then you take the, the second big step to go to some other spot and you make little steps to, you know, find things. We do the same, like when we're searching in our minds, we do, we do a similar kind of process. So, so there's this, this overlap between what happens out there and what happens in here. Um, I was pointing at outside and then at my head. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, I just realized radio needs that, that sort of um, subtext. Um, so, you know, I, I, think, I think part of what we need to do is to figure out a little bit more about how this imagination business works, because it's, it seems to have a lot of overlap with how reality works. Um, and that's a little bit 
interesting because if we if we understood that really well, we might be able to do things like, you know, figure out how to go long distances faster in our heads than than short distances in our heads, or or I don't know. Sure. Yeah. There's also some work that 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 I love that um, has people imagine. This is particularly timely. Um, an interaction with an outgroup member. So, you know, yeah. if you're a 20 year old a white female, you imagine an interaction on a train with, uh, they set up this little scenario, an interaction on a train with an older black man. And you're reading a book mm-hmm. and he comes and he says, Oh, I read that book. Are you enjoying it? And you have this lovely conversation about the book and, and what you liked about it. And, and what you do is you, you have people write down this interaction. So they make this up. They make, they make up a story about what happened in their interaction with this outgroup member. And when you ask people to do that, you actually shift their attitudes towards the mm-hmm. outgroup. And, you know, there's some debate about how long those, those effects last. You know, it might be a, a very short-term kind of thing. But imagine the power of using imagination as a tool like that to just, even without you having to have a real interaction, changing people's perceptions of others, of, of altering some of these ideas that we have about outgroups and and potentially reducing discrimination and bias and and the the negative things that are associated with those um, uh, you know the, sometimes with those interactions with those groups you know if we could if we could do that even just in our imaginations without yeah. having to do things out in the real world I, you know that would be a pretty amazing feat. Yeah, amazing. I feel like I, I was thinking about that a lot, actually, as we've been talking this hour, because there is so much uh, civil unrest at the moment and, and push for change, uh, necessary change. And it strikes me that the prejudice side is very much a primal mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, I feel like, well, the, the one thing about that family on the left is, uh, as we saw in the great movie 2001, they're not going to be happy about the other family <laughs> that's down at the watering hole. Right. And right. when Especially the monolith, resources are scarce. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Resources are scarce. Absolutely. And then the the interesting thing about that movie is that story, Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick, um, is that the symbol of the the monolith, the black slab, whatever comes down, is uh, it kind of gives them imagination. It mm-hmm. kind of injects them. It allows that uh, primate to imagine uh, using a tool right. to right. kill the other guy. But, you know, it probably is, you know, how it happens. But, yeah. but, Nonetheless, this is all sort of primal stuff, and that one thing imagination can do is, and it's only imagination or sort of, you know, highly evolved kind right. of thing that will allow us to get beyond right. um, differences right. and to imagine different. And and uh, it's interesting that, you know, in the famous speech, Martin Luther King's, one of his most famous speeches, I have a I dream. I have a dream, right. Yeah. A dream right. is an imagination. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, of course, you know, one of the most beautiful songs ever written, uh, Imagine. John Lennon. There you go. By John Lennon. That's right. Yeah, which really should be an anthem, one of the anthems for the it world. Should. Because if we can imagine this world that we want to live in, and we can, especially if we can agree on what that world looks like, at least to some yeah. extent, then we know what we're working towards. And then we know how to take the steps to get from where we are now to where we want to be. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's, beautiful. That's a good place to stop. Um, Matt, uh, what have you learned today? I've learned how to think about things that haven't actually happened to me yet. Um, like the possibility of shaving my beard so I can wear my I, I can't imagine it. Nope I'm, yeah. nope, I'm stuck in caveman. Uh, I should say <laughs> along those lines many, many years ago, um, actually it was when I f- was finishing my dissertation, um, my wife said to me, uh, you know, I don't remember what you look like without your beard. You should shave it. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I went into the bathroom, shaved it off, came out, and she looked at me for four or five seconds and said, okay, you can grow it back now. <laughs> I've had um, the same experience. <laughs> Although I did it myself, I voluntarily, I just went, I thought, hey, let me see what I look like, you know? And uh, uh, Wendy's reaction was, put it back. Put it back. <laughs> Strap it back on. Yeah. You know, there's, it, it, you know, you can depend on imagination to remember what you used to look like without your beard. So there's also this fabulous new invention uh, called yeah. photos where you could right. take I'm not familiar with these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I can actually, I can, I'm going to uh, just allow it's a little coda here on the high note, which is that, um, like I said, I've been working with these guys who do video games and who are still working very much on the cutting edge and in, with virtual reality. And virtual reality is going to be an incredible tool for um, 
allowing you to experience what life is like um, in a different body in different situations you know for mm -hmm. instance they've, they've done things where like you can uh, here you are as a person who's very visually impaired or here right. you are as a person oh, in a wheelchair okay. or here you are as a person being persecuted you know and but it's so like talk about movies are real man the power the the sensory power of virtual reality is off the charts yeah. in terms of uh, uh getting that it, it, i guess suppose there's a, that regulator that governor in the brain that turns off the sense of whether this is real or not right, virtual reality right. really is kind of amazing well really turns that switch off uh -huh. it's it's quite intense mm -hmm. um well dr gleason tracy it was amazing this has been just a wonderful, so imaginative. <laughs> you know, we completely, say. completely yeah, failed the mission <laughs> to imagine life without imagination. And, and, well, you know, um, given that it cuts the show off really early, it's it's probably best that we <laughs> it worked out okay. It worked, it worked out. out all right. <laughs> Maybe this didn't really happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different question. Now you need a philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> That's, right. That's where Matt comes in. Um, <laughs> Well, thank so you so much for you, having me. Oh, thank you. Right. Uh, is there anything you'd like to uh, anything you'd like to plug or uh, a place oh, you'd like people um, to go to get oh, more information? You know, honestly, I, I think the the best I can I can do, or what, what is most important for me to do, uh, I was thinking about this actually as you were talking about virtual reality. Sorry, but um, I'll, I'll make a public public service announcement. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, please. Put down your phone. Oh. Put, put down your phone. And first of all, be in the world because, you know, it's nice um, or it can be. Um, <laughs> and uh, because I, one of the things that I worry about a lot is we used to stand in line at the grocery store and daydream and mm -hmm. think about, you know, how we wanted things to be or what we had to do next or the conversation we just had with our spouse. Uh, and now instead of doing those things as we stand in line and wait, uh, which, you know, comes up fairly often in life waiting, sure. we pull out our phones and we look at our email or we play a game or we check the news or we look at Facebook. Um, there are lots and lots of ways to entertain yourself now that are right at hand and immediate. And I think an important skill, especially if we're going to solve the problems that we have today, is uh, to be able to use our brains instead of our phones. Uh, so if we can spend more time uh, exercising those those daydreaming creative muscles, I think that we will be better off. And, and on the one hand, virtual reality is great because it allows you to see things that are very hard for you to imagine, but maybe hard is good. Maybe we need mm -hmm. to, maybe we need to do that work in order to be able to imagine things like, you know, inventing tools or, you know, sending things to Mars. Um, I, okay. I, I don't want us to lose that skill. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. It's Steve Jobs who uh, invented some of these very distractions these tools, we're talking yeah, about. Right. Mm -hmm. he, he, um, he always talked about, actually, it was interesting that he talked about the power of boredom. Mm -hmm. And he would talk about how he used to have, there was a time where he, had, he went on very long walks and uh, where, when he had to, it wasn't like a pleasure walk. So right. well, it took him a long time to go to walk to wherever it was. He had to go to school or work or whatever. And he always, when he looked back on his life, he felt like, man, I, I did a lot of great yeah, thinking. Of and, and he actually, it's interesting, he and Bill Gates, I think, and a lot of these guys who invented these things always have severely limited how much time their children could have on, even going back to the days when these things were brand new. Yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely, the power of boredom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When, when your kids come to you and say, I'm bored, you can say, great. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so happy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Thank you. This is this has been a real treat. Oh, thank a you. Real so treat. Um, and I hope that all of you um, uh, people who've been listening, whether you're on the left side of the screen or the right side of the screen, <laughs> it doesn't matter, come together and uh, imagine the if. Imagine the ifs you could if, if you could if. Um, we have a ritual when we end, uh, Tracy. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. No. Uh, Matt, would you explain our closing ritual? Uh, well, as we begin to imagine the sea of ifs that lies ahead of us, uh, we experience a moment of existential terror uh, and uh, shout the name of the show. 
Um, uh, we, we don't know what's happening next week. That's right. Or the week beyond. So, so, so very slowly we find ourselves consumed um, by the possible end. And if those of you who are listening, I know those of you who've done it before, you've already been vo- warming up your vocal cords, getting your imagination revved up. You've been role-playing this scenario in your head over and over and over again. And here we are. We're going to do it for real. What? what? No! no!